0: So, how many Alabama football players does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but he gets four hours of credit and an A. How many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but it takes six visits. How many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? How many can you afford? How many doctors does it take to change a light bulb? That depends on whether the light bulb has health insurance. And then how many Baptists does it take to change the light bulb? At least 15. One to change the light bulb. Three committees to approve the change and decide who brings the potato salad. Okay. So now on to a more serious note as we uh, look in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 5. How many elders does it take to oversee a church? That's kind of the question that we have before us this morning. Oh, hey, the microphone is working. Very good. How many elders does it take to oversee a church? Now, we're just going to look at verse 5 today, and we're going to use that as a launching point. Uh, You know that I like expository preaching and we typically go book by book and verse by verse. But uh, I believe there's there's room here for some teaching uh, on uh, an elder and Lord willing, next week we'll begin to look at the qualifications of an elder. But I think this week we kind of need to look at how many elders because we read there in Titus one five. He says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul and Titus had at some point visited the island of Crete. Now, they had either planted a church there or came there and found a group of Christians uh, that had gathered together, because we do know that Cretans were present at the day of Pentecost. OK, and that's about all we know about the Christian church in Crete. So Paul either planted a church there or when he got there, they found some Christians that had been uh, at Pentecost and tried started uh, forming a community. And then Paul needed to leave. And so he took off and he left Titus there with two purposes to put what remained into order and to appoint elders in every town. Now. Paul often will introduce, he, he says, I'm going to tell you about A and then I'm going to tell you about B. And then he'll discuss B and then he comes back to A. Okay, And so when he says uh, when, that you might put what remained into order, I think that is going to refer to teaching on uh, godly behavior that we're going to find in the latter part. Of Titus, beginning in chapter two and falling into chapter three. And then he talks about elders would be his B. So A is putting things in order. B is uh, appointing elders. And then he goes right into the qualifications of elders from there and then why they're needed to uh, to contradict false teachers and false teaching. And then he comes back to uh, (coughs) putting things in order as far as behavior Uh, Behavior that adorns the gospel of God. So, what I want us to focus in on here is Paul's command, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. First of all, I want us to see, well, one of the reasons we're having this, and, and the reason I've titled this, How Many Elders Does It Take to Oversee a Church? We have a little bit of ambiguity because he says, I want you to appoint elders, which is plural, in every town. In Crete, as I directed you, so town is singular. Now, you could say, well, but every town could have multiple churches. Well, that's possible, but highly unlikely in the early days of Crete. And so so we we have here what we what at least at first glance seems to be that there should be multiple elders in a given church in a city. Okay. We'll dig into that a little deeper. But before we do, I just want to talk to you about what is an elder. What is an elder? Is it just an old guy? And of course, we're going to see that it's not. But an elder is God's steward to oversee the faith of God's elect and their growth in holiness. An elder is going to be concerned about just what Paul was concerned about in the introduction. The faith of God's elect and their growth in holiness. And so we see if we skip down to Titus 1-5, and the scriptures are inside that handout there, if you're not turned to Titus already. But Titus 1-5, he wants him to appoint elders. But then in verse 7, he says this, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He's repeating this must be ab- above reproach, which he talks about in verse 6, as far as his home life goes. But here in verse 7, he says, and he calls him instead of an elder, he calls him an overseer, as God's steward. A steward, the expository Bible uh, commentary says this The steward was the manager of a household or estate, appointed by and accountable to the owner. The Christian minister is not merely the servant of the church, he exercises his office under God's authority and is directly accountable to. To him, So, in our modern day society, at least here in the United States of America, we, we've kind of lost this concept of what a steward is. We, we don't typically have someone that's rich enough that they just have somebody that's overseeing the affairs of their house. Uh, we do read in the Bible, though, of Joseph as a slave of Potiphar when he was down in Egypt. He worked his way up to where he was managing Potiphar's whole house. Right. all of his finances and his other servants and things like that. And so that kind of concept is what we have here when Paul uses this word here, God's steward, a steward that is to oversee God's house, God's church in a particular place. So an elder is a steward to oversee the faith of God's elect. He says, An overseer there in verse seven, Uh, the King James would use the term bishop there. It's where we get that term bishop. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But an overseer is kind of the responsibilities, right? He's to oversee, make sure everything's going on well in the house. Look down to verse Titus, verse nine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he is a steward over the home. He is to be able to uh, hold fast to the faith of God's elect and to rebuke those who are contradicting the faith. And so then these are his responsibilities. He is to oversee the faith of God's elect and their growth in holiness. There are three words used to describe the same office in the church. First of all, there's pastor, there's elder, and there's overseer. In our church, we've used the word pastor. uh, And and people call me Pastor Harris and Pastor Tad. That's the title that we tend to use. But we are also elders and we are overseers. Okay? Okay. So, pastor, elder, and overseer, those three words or titles describe the same leadership position in the church. Why is there three different words to describe it? Well, an elder speaks to the spiritual maturity and character of a person. Elder speaks to spiritual maturity and character. It is the Greek word presbyteros. It's where the Presbyterians get their name. They are Elder-led, and they have their system of government that is bound up in that term presbyteros. But it speaks here in the Bible to someone who has spiritual maturity and character. Lord willing, we'll talk about the character of an elder next week. Then we have this word overseer. Speaks to his responsibility in caring for the members. It's the Greek word episkopos. It's where the Episcopalians Get their word also used as bishop and their form of government has bishops over top of the church in addition to their pastors and things like that. This is where there are different disagreements in denominations as to how things are done. But, of course, Baptists do it all correctly. Right. At least we think we do. And so we uh, we do things the way God has convinced us of. But an overseer speaks of his responsibility in caring for the members. He's to oversee God's household. And then pastor. Pastor speaks to the outworking of his duties to care, to feed and protect the members and the faith. We see all these in Acts chapter 20. And on the handout, you'll see that there's some relevant scriptures to the to the passage, you can either turn in your Bible or you can look at those scriptures on the back. Acts 20.17, in this passage that goes from Acts 20.17 to Acts 20.28, 20, we see all three words for an elder used in this passage. Let me help point them out to you. Acts twenty verse seventeen. Paul is traveling and he's heading to Jerusalem and he's pretty certain he's not going to uh, come back out, so he wants to have one more meeting. Uh, With the uh, elders of, of Ephesus. And so he sends a message to them and says, hey, come meet me in Miletus. And so verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, notice there we have he called the elders, plural of the church, singular, to come to him. Again, more on that to come. But we have the term elder used. Then look down to Acts 20, 28. Where he is challenging them about the future. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, so there's that overseer or bishop. He's made you over the church. And then he says to care for the church of God. And when he says care for, that's the verbal form of pastor or shepherd. Okay, So he is shepherding. So the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elder, overseer, pastor. All three terms used of the same office, the same men. So as God's appointed stewards, elders are to oversee the administration of the gospel in the church. Or as we like to say it here in Faith Baptist Church, we are to give the gospel, we are to guard the gospel, and we are to grow Christians. An elder is God's steward to oversee the faith of God's elect and their growth in holiness. So that's an elder. Then we talk about how is an elder selected? How is an elder selected? Well, he's appointed by the church. In the case in Paul and Titus, the church in Antioch had given them authority to start churches and appoint the first set of elders. Okay? And we see that in Second Corinthians eight sixteen and 19, where Paul is writing and he's talking of Titus. And he says, but thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. And then down in verse 19, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches To travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So, Paul and Titus are on this mission appointed by the churches to go and start other churches. The churches are cooperating together to plant other churches. And these guys have the authority to appoint the first church set of elders. But once a church is started, it comes under God's delegated authority. Authority starts with God and it was given to Jesus the Son, Matthew twenty eight, eighteen. All authority has been given to me. And then so Jesus is the head of the church. He's the king of God's people and the church is made up of God's people and he's the ruler and he is the authority. And we see that in Colossians 1.18, if you want to just make a note there. Matthew 28.18, Jesus is given authority, and He is the head of the church, Colossians 1.18. The Spirit, who is part of the Trinity, right, indwells all believers. 1 John 2.18, Ephesians 4.30, and 1 Peter 2.5 and 9. The Spirit indwells all believers. So then believers who covenant together in church membership... Give the elders authority to lead, feed, and oversee the whole body. Let me say that again. Believers who covenant together in church membership give the elders authority to lead, feed, and oversee the whole body. That verse that we read in Acts twenty twenty eight says that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Well, the Holy Spirit is in the believers who then appoint or vote for in modern parlance, they elders. They give approval to their elders. So the Spirit, through the people, chooses a pastor or pastors to oversee them. We see this in a negative form in 2 Timothy 4.3, where the people choose bad teachers. They gather to themselves bad teachers. Paul doesn't rebuke them for using their authority to choose who's pastoring them. He rebukes them for choosing bad pastors. The pastor then. Okay? So we find that in Second Timothy four three. So believers choose their pastors. Believers also choose their deacons. The early church elders said to the people, Choose out from among you men that we can appoint to this duty of feeding, making sure the widows are fed, whether they be Greeks or Jews. So believers choose deacons. For the pastors to appoint to certain things. That's in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Now, that's the authority is given, but then responsibility lays upon the pastors. They are God's stewards, overseers. They have the most responsibility in a church. When you stand before the Lord, Hebrews tells us, we stand with you. And God, in the book of Hebrews, encourages believers to to follow their leaders in, in obeying them so that it will go well for them on Judgment Day. Okay, so responsibility given to the pastors, we have to answer not just for ourselves, but for how we led you Okay. Responsibility starts with pastors, then deacons are given responsibility by the elders, right? So appoint, they're appointed duties. But then the members also have that responsibility that I spoke of in Hebrews 13, that they are going to follow the lead of their pastors. Now, something important to note here. What we're talking about is how a church should be elder-led, not elder-ruled. Elder led, not elder ruled. The pastors do not have the authority to make the final decisions in matters of receiving and removing members. Membership is ultimately in the authority of the congregation. You will vote. In, in the next business meeting, we have uh, some people that are, have come forward for membership and you will vote. On whether you approve for them to be a part of the membership here of Faith Baptist Church. And should there be a negative example, somebody who is a member, who is not acting like a Christian, you have the authority to vote them out of the church. So the keys to the kingdom lay with the congregation. Okay, And so you rule. You rule, dudes. No. You rule or you govern. In matters of receiving and removing members, also of appointing leaders, you choose who you are going to submit to. And then the third thing is doctrinal matters. What the church, Faith Baptist Church believes, you approve what we do or do not have in our doctrinal statement. So those are things that lie in the in the uh, leadership or the. The governance of the members. However, the congregation appoints qualified men who can, they can then follow. The church should be elder led, not elder ruled. The main tasks of elders is the preaching and teaching of the word, prayer and general care and oversight of the church. The word, prayer and general care and oversight of the church. Uh, I have a little sticker on my wall where I read uh, one uh, article that said a pastor's responsibility is a poet. P-O-E-T. Preach, oversee, equip and teach. Preach, oversee, equip and teach. That's the pastor's main tasks. And that's why we have deacons, because the pastors, the pastors are leading by teaching. And then we need deacons to come along and make sure that we Stay on task of preaching and praying. Uh, And I said preaching, overseeing is praying. Pray, oversee, equip and teach. Pray, oversee, equip and teach. Making sure that prayer and the word is the main focus of the pastors or the elders of the church. The elders are assisted in that way by deacons. So, while Elders under the authority of Christ are the primary leaders of the church. Deacons serve to accomplish important tasks in the life of the church to free up the elders to focus on the ministry of word and prayer. And we won't get into that now, but you can read more about that in Acts 6 and then 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons are servants. They assist with the physical needs of the church body help maintain the unity of the church, and they organize members to facilitate ministry. So, churches then are congregationally governed. Finally, we believe that the church has the final decision in matters pertaining to receiving and removing members, receiving and removing leadership, and what we believe. And when we talk about removing leadership, in Galatians 1, Paul rebukes the church for not removing the elders who were preaching false Gospels. And so that's your part of your responsibility. If I get up here spouting stuff that you can work for your salvation or you need to be circumcised in order to follow Christ, these false teachings, you have the responsibility to put me out. Okay. So while the pastors faithfully seek to lead the church towards the decisions they deem are best in these areas, the final say belongs to the gathered church. The church makes decisions regarding these things during member meetings. So how is an elder selected? Well, the spirit through the people chooses a pastor to oversee them. Now, the question of the morning, how many elders does a church need? How many elders does a church need? Well, there are verses that speak to a plurality of pastors in a given church, and I've listed them there. Uh, in your uh, handout, if you look at Acts 14, verse 21, because we, we opened by saying in Titus 1, 5, possibly some ambiguity there. We want to look at verses that are a little more clear. Acts 14:21 says when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders. Now, is that plural or singular? Plural. When they had appointed elders for them in every church. Now, is every church, would that be plural or singular? That's singular. Every church. If it were plural, it would be the churches. There's that distinction, every church. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, there's something about this appointing of elders. It's like once we've done that, we turn them over to the Lord. And now they are an autonomous church. Notice 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 Writing to the church there, Paul says, Let the elders, plural, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So here we have not only elders, plural, but we have some elders who are apparently not laboring in preaching and teaching. Does that make sense? Okay, so we have multiple men eldering the church, and he is saying that you should honor them, but especially those who are laboring in preaching and teaching. Look at James chapter 5, verse 17. Command to, the, to someone who is sick. James five fourteen. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Elders, plural. Church, singular. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Acts 20, verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. That We've already covered that one. So there's multiple elders of the singular church that are to come to him. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 1. Peter, as an elder in the church in Jerusalem, says this. So I exhort the elders, plural, among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he is writing to the elders of the church. So these are all verses that speak to a plurality of pastors in a church. So how many pastors should a church have? Turn to Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 13, where I have that on the handout there. Ephesians 4, verses 7-13. through 13, Paul is talking about how God, uh, when Jesus Christ ascended, He gave gifts to every believer to serve the body of Christ. It says, verse 7, "...but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men." Now, let's skip down to verse 11. And he gave. So he's given gifts to men. And then it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. That's our word pastors in a verbal form, right? The shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. So you may be sitting there and saying, Boy, Pastor thinks he's God's gift to the church. Well, I am. So is Pastor Tad, okay? But not like we think a lot of ourselves, okay? It's just that God has given gifts, and one of those gifts that He's given is He's given pastors to the church. And they are to help you grow in Christ's likeness. And we talk about salvation is your salvation, your justification, where God declares you righteous, is all of faith. Right. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right. So we are justified by faith. Justification. The second part is we then begin that journey to our promised land called sanctification, where God is forming us into the image of Christ until one day he brings us to himself. We call that glorification. So justification, sanctification, glorification. Your sanctification is all of God. He saved you by grace through faith in Christ alone. Your sanctification, we are told here in this passage, where you are built up in the body of Christ until we attain Uh, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to where we're measuring up to Christ. Your sanctification is a group project led by elders. In other words, your growth in Christ is a group project. You're all involved in one another's lives to help yourselves grow up, caring for one another, as Pastor Tad talked about in uh, in the announcements this morning even. We're to love one another and grow in Christ's likeness. And that is done by the leadership of the pastors. So your growth in holiness, your sanctification is a group project led by elders. So how many pastors should a church have? Well, how many presents does a child want on Christmas morning? Right. As many as you will give them. Right. Right. Like, one of the worst things a kid could probably hear is like, I'm only going to give you three gifts this year. And then they're just like, oh man, that list of 20 things that I wanted, I've got to start hoping for three, you know? And let's hope it's not socks is one of them, because I'm not even asking for those, right? So how many presents does a child want on Christmas Christmas morning? As many as they can get. Well, Ephesians 4 here telling us that pastors are gifts. So how many Pastors should a church have? Well, as many as God gifts them with. Does that make sense? In other words, as we have qualified pastors come up amongst us, then we bring them in and make them elders. So, as many as God gifts them with. We need at least one, but a plurality is welcome. And so, here at Faith Baptist Church, we like to say that a church should be Elder led or pastor led, if you want to substitute in that title, pastor led, deacon served, congregationally governed. Or, and I think I put this on your handout, put another way the church should be led by a plurality of elders, served by deacons, and governed by the congregation. So, that's kind of the church. And, 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 to be a part of the church, you have to be born again. And so, like, if you're here visiting with us today, and you're not sure that you're saved, I would just say, look, we're talking, you need justified. And you're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Repent of your sins, and call out to God and ask Him to save you because of what Christ did on your behalf, dying on the cross for your sins, resurrecting to give you life everlasting. Place your faith in Him, and follow Him with your life. Do that this morning. Don't delay. Now, for those who are saved, and maybe you're not a member of a church, I would say that you need to submit yourself to a church in membership. You need to have your sanctification overseen by a group of people led by elders. As I said before, your sanctification is a group project led by elders. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Like when somebody says, "Well, my time, you know, me and God get alone when I go out hunting or I go out into nature and da 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 da." da. I worship God there. Well, you can worship God anywhere you're at, but your sanctification happens as a part of a church. There's no New Testament uh, Christians that are lone rangers, uh, or, or there used to be a DC character called Omac, One Man Army Corps. Right? There's no one man army corps of Christians. There's, for bring it a little bit modern, at least for my age, you know, there's no Rambos, right? Just out here doing it on their own. You need one another. You need one another and you need to be covenanted together in a church that's led by pastors. So if you've not joined a church, I would encourage you to do that. We have. Uh, You can scan that little QR code and go to the membership uh, section and fill that out online as far as if you want to be a member. Or we have sheets on the table as you pass out in the hallway, There's uh, (laughs) as you pass by them in the hallway. Please don't pass out in the hallway. If you're going to pass out, please do it in the parking lot. No. So there are membership forms that you can fill out and turn in in the hallway as you go out. Now, to conclude the message, there's some advantages of a plurality of elders. OK, number one, it balances pastoral weaknesses. Okay, It balances pastoral weaknesses. The, the greatest shepherd was the Lord Jesus Christ, who also came to serve. It's interesting that Jesus Christ replaces himself with two offices, pastor and deacon. Right. And so. Even then, with pastors, there's just, I have blind spots. Pastor Tad has blind spots. Hopefully we complement one another, right? So there's this helpfulness that balances out pastoral weaknesses. <clears throat> it diffuses congregational criticism. What does that mean? Well, you're blaming them, not him. Okay, if, you're, if There's a disagreement with what's the, the leadership pattern of the church then it's them. It's, it's not just one guy that's making the decision. It adds pastoral wisdom because you're getting input from a multitude of men. One that I think is very important and, and really hit me probably, I don't know, probably about ten years ago, a, a plurality of elders indigenizes leadership. What does indigenizes leadership? It makes it local. It localizes leadership. Faith Baptist Church called me to be their pastor 16 years ago. And I remember I met with another pastor in the area, and he told me, he said, David, you need to stick with it. He said, there have been a lot of pastors come to the valley, but there's not been many that stayed. He said, people people want to know that you're from the valley, that you care about the valley, that you're a part of the valley. And so when somebody comes in from outside, there's just some trust building that has to go on. It's like, are are they going to even like it here? Like, are they willing to have breakfast tacos from a gas station that are just amazing? I mean, there's just there's just a lot. Right. I mean, and, and so. So there's a localization when we rise, when we raise up elders among us, the church becomes localized so that, Lord willing, if something should happen to me, the the group of men that's remaining will either have someone that can step into the preaching and teaching role or they'll know what to look for if they are going to bring somebody in from the outside. Because that's one thing that began to trouble me ten years ago. It's like, boy, we've we've made a lot of changes here at Faith Baptist Church. We've grown in a lot of ways. Uh, in, in, and I'd hate to just, something happened to me and then some other guy come in and he just undoes all the changes and all the good things that we've seen happen here. And that began to concern me and trouble me. And that's when, that's when God began to say, hey, well, you know, I've kind of got a solution for that if you just read your Bible. right? And it's a plurality of elements. They come along and they help you lead the church and they help you grow the church. And then once once you pass away, there's a succession plan already built in, right? They know what to look for in a pastor. So it indigenizes leadership. It also enables corrective discipline. It enables corrective discipline. I remember it's uh, probably pre-pandemic now, but I was... Teaching from that passage in Galatians where Paul rebukes the church for not removing the pastor that was teaching a false gospel. And I remember one of our winter Texans coming to me and saying, Pastor David, I understand what you're saying here and I understand what the Bible says, but that's just not going to happen. People aren't going to go against their pastor. Well, that's unhealthy. If, it's, if the gospel's at stake, right? Like you're called to follow, but not into false teaching. Part of our job as Christians is to guard the gospel. So when you have a multitude of elders, though, the elders can help correct the guy that's going off. If it's just me, I mean, just to let you in on a little secret, I think I'm always right. I'm not always right, but I always think I am right. And and so I need other people to come in and say, hey, you know, this is you're kind of going wacko here. This is not good. Right. There's corrective discipleship that can occur. And then it prepares more hands to work for the harvest. You know, this valley keeps growing, but I don't see a whole lot of churches being started. And so if as faith Baptist grows and we raise up elders among us, it may be that we say, hey, you know what? This area needs a church. And, And it's like, hey, we've got an elder who's ready and we've got. Some people that are willing to go to this area and we'll just start a new church with that little group of people. Right? It's similar to what Emmaus Church is doing. They're taking a group of people from their church and they're taking two elders from their church and they're sending them out into Georgetown. It's a great plan. Okay, so how many elders does it take to oversee a church? As many as God gifts to it. So, my challenge to you this morning, to the members of Faith Baptist Church, is that we need to update our Constitution to make sure that it allows for a plurality of elders to lead it. There are some places in the Constitution that we wouldn't have necessarily a problem with it, but it's kind of vague. And then there's other times that it seems to be speaking to a singular. So it needs to be tightened up and we need to make sure that our Constitution reflects a healthy biblical uh, leadership. So I want you to pray about that. I'm not saying we're changing it today, and I'm not saying I don't I don't have a document prepared that says, hey, no. We need to pray and decide are we going to update this? And then we can vote on that, and then we can appoint some people to oversee that process of updating that constitution and then we'll vote on the updates, okay? Because we are congregationally governed. The congregation chooses when we make changes like this. But as your pastors, we're telling you and we're trying to lead you into this needs to happen because we believe it's a more biblical, healthy approach for the church. If you have questions or concerns, please don't hesitate to ask. Ask us. We're more than willing to meet with you and answer your questions and concerns. and, And look, we could be wrong. Okay. so if you have concerns about that, come talk to us. We're your elders, right? We can help you with that don't 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 come up with five reasons why you know, and go out and visit discernment blogs. Why shouldn't you have this? you know and then and then start spreading that stuff amongst yourself. Now you're causing division, and that's a problem that will have to be dealt with, right? So let's be unified and let's work towards unity. So again, if you have questions or concerns, Come and ask me, come and ask Pastor Tad, and let's be in prayer about this as a church. With that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule over his churches. And Father, we pray that you will give us guidance as Faith Baptist Church as we consider updating our Constitution to uh, what the elders here believe would be a more uh, biblically grounded model to follow. And Lord, a model that is not unknown to Baptists. In fact, the first Baptist churches were set up this way. And so, Father, give wisdom, give guidance, give us direction, and may you be glorified in your church, and especially here at Faith Baptist Church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.